Hey guys, welcome to episode 18 of Missions and Marketplace podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and I had the opportunity and pleasure to sit down with John Acuff, who is New York Times bestselling author of five books, including his most recent one, Do Over, Rescue Monday, reinvent your work and never get stuck. For 18 years, he's helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their story, including Home Depot, Bose, Staples, and the Dave Ramsey team. Most recently, he's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, companies, and churches. Featured regularly on national media, John has been seen on places like CNN, Fox News, Good Day LA, and other key outlets. I had a pleasure of sitting down with John and talking about his books, Quitter, Start, Do Over, and all these other books that I think are really pivotal for those who are wanting to step out and become entrepreneurs. He's really tapping into a place where he's offering a little humor in all of these books. I've read them all, but at the same time, he is giving you key elements to build on. And John and I really discussed some really important things that we deal with as individuals, that we deal with as we're building businesses or whatever you're trying to branch off to. So I thoroughly enjoy John. I think he is a very genuine person and I appreciate him much. So without further ado, here is John Acuff. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. John, welcome to the program. It's exciting having you. Been looking forward to having a conversation with you, and I'm glad you're on. Thanks for having me, Priest. So many things to talk about, but before we do, how about you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get to where you are today? I live in Nashville, Tennessee, outside of the city with my wife and two daughters. I've been married um, going on 15 years and spent, uh, majored in journalism to kind of focus on advertising, the advertising part of journalism, and worked in corporate America for about 15 years at companies like Home Depot and Bose and Staples and got a great kind of behind the scenes look at, at branding. And then a little over two years ago, went off on my own and decided to try being an entrepreneur full time. I've written five books and divide my time most years between writing books and giving speeches at companies, um, big companies like Microsoft and Comedy Central, but also small companies with 15 employees, 20 employees that are trying to figure out how do you grow a business? So that's kind of a, that's a quick scattershot of what I do. You know, you talked about the five books that you wrote, and we're going to kind of get into a few of those books. But, you know, you brought up Comedy Central as a place. And in some respects, you would be like, well, how does that tie in? But I will tell you in these books that you've written, and this is one thing that I really love is in terms of as you're talking about business and fear in business and doing over and some failures and successes that you have, you use a lot of humor in all five of these books. And I really appreciate and enjoy that rather than the the five-point plan and a serious kind of old fogey feel to it. I guess there's two things. One, I come from a funny family. So my dad uses humor to communicate. My youngest brother is the funniest person in the family. He's way funnier than me. <laughs> so I grew up around humor. Um, and then it's a great source of differentiation. There's a lot of business books that tell you to have an exciting business or an exciting life in a boring way, which makes no sense. And so fortunately for me, it's something I really like to explore. I love comedians. They're the best public speakers on the planet. I love to write with humor. And fortunately, it's a, it's a source of differentiation because there's not a ton of business guys writing in that same space. I think you are, you know, one of the few that I've read personally, and I've read all five books, by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, that I think you use a lot of humor, but there 
there's deeply a message that's never lost within the humor. And you're right, we don't see much of it. So I wanted to kind of dive into one of your books where, and you've you've talked about this and you kind of brought it up quickly at the beginning there, where you talked about you worked for a company and you left and kind of stepped out on your own. And I think that was back in 2013, where you left at one point, you were with Dave Ramsey and kind of started your own brand, if you will. But beyond that, what you call a dream job. So this is kind of what I want to dive into. How nervous were you to leave what you initially thought in belief and probably still do to be a dream job to step out on what you now believe is another dream? So it's uh, not to say that the, the one other dream was bad. Oh, yeah. You, it's you not can to have, criticize the other one. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, good grief. The things I learned, the, you know, I had somebody tell me that Dave Ramsey fast forwarded my career by 10 years. So I, yeah, I, I do my best to always celebrate those three years because they I, I learned a lot it was great now to that point though stepping out yeah it was very nerve-wracking because anytime you leave something stable and known to try something new and unknown there should it should be nervous like right. you can prepare all you want you should you know there's a lot of things you should get in place there's things you should do there's counsel you should get but there's always a degree of the unknown so it was definitely nerve wracking. Um, it wasn't impulsive. I'll, I'll say that. So I, I, you know, I was deliberate. I felt like I, I had gone through a good process to come to a decision. But yeah, it's definitely scary, especially when it's something you haven't necessarily done before and that I've, I've never run my own company. And so and I've always been at big companies where I was surrounded by talented people who did a lot of talented things around me. And so to be on my own and have to figure out how do you manage people? How do you build something? How do you grow a brand that's that's on your own? Yeah, there was a, there was definitely a lot of nerves around it. You know, initially before my wife and I, we kind of relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina. That takes, you know, some level of courage. So you can do a lot of calculation behind it and talk to your mentors and your small circle, no matter how small it may be. It may be as small as a period, but you still consult with them. But at some point, you're still going to have to step out on faith, if you will, and just make the decision to take the leap. You can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, that's the that's kind of the myth of some of this stuff is that people love to sell you on, well, here's my five-year plan or my 10-year plan. But I just think that's crazy. I was just reading Peter Drucker, obviously very famous, well-known, well-regarded business author, writer, kind mm -hmm. of genius, said, a plan can usually cover no more than 18 months and still be reasonably clear and specific. He said it's rarely possible or even particularly fruitful to look too far ahead. Mm. And so that idea of, and that's Peter Drucker saying, hey, you can get as far out maybe as 18 months with a sense of what's going to happen. But let's be honest, you don't know. You really don't know at the end of it all, right? No. And so, yeah, that's where some of the you know nervousness comes from. But you don't get to grow if you don't have those moments. I, I think about that all the time that I'll talk to people that want to change. They just don't want to change anything they're doing. Or they'll say, I want growth, just no discomfort. And I always say, well, that's unfortunate because growth is always uncomfortable. That's part of the trade-off of being different, of growing, of getting better. There's some degree of awkwardness and uncomfortableness. I love the way that your books are set up. Out of the five, if you look at the last three, I believe it is, you have Quitter, Start, and Do-Over, which is your most recent book here. But we talked about Quitter and somebody stepping out from their dream job or something that they're believing in and just taking the leap. But then Start is sort of you re-engaging with it and just taking over your fear. Do you think it's really possible that people are afraid of success? I've heard, you know, I remember my grandfather was in some kind of singing group when I was younger and my father would tell me, yeah, he quit because he was afraid of success. And that made no sense to me because success is all determined by what you believe success is. And there's really no guarantees. 
Do you think that's possible that people are afraid of success? Does that oh, make 100%. Sense? 100%. Yeah. There are a lot of people afraid of success because they're afraid of, you know, will I change when I get it? You don't have to look far to see in the news successful people who have blown up their life. So it's very easy in the midst of success to get drunk on it and lose it. You know, I show you churches that fall that way, show you businesses that fall that way, show you celebrities that fall that way, where the success becomes the hardest thing for them handle. And I'll also show you, you know, really smart business people and celebrities that say they're glad they didn't get fast success. Right. Glad they had to learn it slowly. So yeah, there are people that are afraid of success. And then part of it can be that they have a really low self-esteem and they feel they don't deserve the success. So when they receive the success, they feel ashamed because they've bought the lie that I don't deserve good things or I, you know, I'm a bad person. So when something bad happens to me, that's because I deserve it. If something good happens to me, I don't feel good about it. I mean, I remember Kendrick Lamar talking about survivor's guilt. Mm, He successfully left the difficult area he was in and the survivor's guilt of that. Survivor's guilt is about success. It's about him dealing, wrestling with the idea of why me? Why did I get to be the one that got the rocket ride out of the difficult situation? And and what does that mean for my life? So yeah, there's there's many forms of fear success. Yeah, that's a really good example because I, I think there are a lot of people that get out of their hardships and feel like either they don't deserve it or they owe everything back to the people that they came out of it. And in some respects, I mean, that's just kind of a, a misnomer about your kind of your own system. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that people are that way, but I, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see it all the time. And I understand, I mean, I understand it because every now and then I get, you know, nervous about it or attacked by it. So I think there's definitely a, such a thing as fear of success. Well, how do you get over that, John? Well, I think a lot of it's relationships. I think, you know, you talked about the circle. You have to have people in your life that can tell you the truth. So you have to have friends that'll say, wait a second, wait a second. This is what you worked for. Like this is, you know, we're not going to idolize it. If your only mission is money, you're going to have a miserable life. Like every, I mean, look at the cover of Rolling Stone this week. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. And it's talking about his most difficult movie, The Revenant, and his new fight for the globe. And so anyone who reaches a certain high level eventually goes, you know what? Like if it's a 20,000 square foot house or 25,000 square foot, doesn't matter. If it's a red Lamborghini or a green Lamborghini, doesn't matter. Like it eventually you realize there's got to be something more. I think that's part of it. You get over it by talking to friends that'll keep you grounded and you get over it by staying connected to why you started it in the first place. Having a tribe as it's being called now or community is important. I mean, you know, I try to look at Facebook a little bit differently for a long time. I be the guy putting up cats and like crazy saying. But then I I said, you know, the people that I want to have on my Facebook page, I want to leverage these real friendships and family to be really someone that I can have dialogue with. Same with Twitter. Same reason why I'm having podcasts with people that inspire me like yourself. And I really want to engage with people and have real relationships and build a community because when you do have to make these tough decisions or you are facing fears, there's people like yourself that can inspire you to say, yeah, fear is real, but you got to you got to get past it. And here's some ways that I would suggest. You know, you can't eliminate it. That's why when I talk about fear, I talk about punch fear in the face, not how to get rid of your fear. I, that's, I don't think that's possible. I think, in, you know, this side of heaven, you're always going to struggle with fear. Each new stage has bigger challenges. 
So as you continue to level up, it's just, you know, a bigger challenge and a bigger challenge. You're constantly being stretched and there's fears that come with that. So I don't think fear is a bad thing in that sense. John, you have an entrepreneur who has gotten over the fear of starting a business, decided that he or she wanted to start one, got into it, got rolling along and have found other people that are doing what they do, but they either have a bigger platform, their Twitter page is bigger and all these other variables. And the next thing they roll into is what I like to call comparisonitis. So they start to have this disease, if you will, that now they want to become that other person or aspire to have the things that that other person has, where when you just think back months before they started their business, they had no idea of that and they just conceptually went in to start the business. How does an entrepreneur get over saying, I want what that person has, or I need to now do it this way? I mean, because I think we all kind of, in one respect or another, look at the other person over our shoulder and say, I should have did it like that. How do we get over that? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I think part of it is if you identify a place that's challenging for you or a person that's challenging for you, you don't have to follow them on Instagram. Like you don't. I don't know. I think we're so hard on ourselves and think, oh, I should just man up or, you know, I got to be tough. And so if there's somebody who is in your Instagram feed that every time you see them, you get lost in comparison for half an hour, mm -hmm. that stop following that person. <laughs> like the fix to that is very simple. Mm -hmm. Like I know you could go, I should be a strong enough person to be able to look at their photos and not get emotionally upset. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Down the road. Let's get there. Let's become noble. Fine. That's fine. But for now, unfollow them. Like, and if, unless it's a person that it's going to cause more strife to unfollow them, like they're a close friend that's going to go, hey, wait a second. If it's just somebody in your industry or somebody in your circle and you're having a hard time because you want to be the next so-and-so and every time you see so-and-so's photo, you feel like whatever you're doing is not good, I think you just unfollow them. And everybody, everybody thinks about it. Everybody, you know, whatever level you're at, there's somebody who's at a higher level. And then the other thing is you have to remember the truth about it. A lot of times we'll compare ourselves to people that are in age or experience 20 years ahead of us. And we, we're, we're frustrated that we don't have exactly what they have. And you think, well, they're, they're 50. You're 25. You've been, you're an entrepreneur. You've been out of school for four years. They're 50. That makes no sense. And so a lot of times I try to have fun with the reality of it, which is you shouldn't compare yourself to somebody who's, you know, I shouldn't compare myself to Jim Collins. He's a Stanford professor, I think in his mid-50s, and has been doing this for 35 years. Yeah. And so if I look at my ideas and go, oh, they're not as well-researched as Jim Collins, I should then go, you mean the Stanford researcher who's 55? Yeah, they're not. Of course they're not. Yeah, I can't dunk like Jordan either. Like... <laughs> It's just ridiculous. I, I love that approach. And this, again, is the humor that I really enjoy because it does kind of, um, it settles you down for whoever you think you're supposed to be in some respect. I mean, yeah, it gives you a chance to laugh at it. I yeah. mean, it gives you a chance to go, oh, come on. And part of it too is the problem is sometimes the people you compare to, I don't want to say all the times, but a lot of the times the people you're comparing to are showing you an edited version of their life. Totally. So I think about like the entrepreneur that you go, wow. They post a hundred times a day. How do they do it? You know what you're not seeing? You're not seeing their husband or wife who's like, hey, can we just go to dinner like once? <laughs> right. Like you have to selfie every decision you make. This is killing me. <laughs> you know, like you're not seeing that that photo took nine minutes to set up to look like it didn't need to be set up. Like casual takes the longest time to take a photo, you know, like so 
I try to remember on the other side what you're not seeing. Remember, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then you just remember it. Comparison takes you away from the thing you're supposed to be focused on. That is the key. Remember that uh, young woman that came out and she finally, I think she was an Instagram model. Everybody's an Instagram model. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That said how like the truth behind the photos. Yeah, exactly. And she gave yeah. like the real raw truth. And that was what I was going to say is, you know, in some respect, people aren't even they can't even compare to themselves the way they have lighting set up and they position their bodies or show cool stuff like a picture of their laptop and microphone and say hashtag hustling when really you're just eating Cheetos. I just try to remember the uh, the reality of it, you know, that there's chances are it doesn't look like how you think it looks like. So let's talk about the book do over a little bit. And, and when I read this book, what kind of jumped out at me is that, you know, I was at a company before where I felt like I was in a 10 story building and I was on the ninth floor. And when I left that company, I felt like I was on the first floor of a 20 story building, uh, which means that there was a, a lot more height to it. There was a lot further to go, but you're starting at the bottom and you're doing it over. And sometimes what people feel like is just because I do over, I'm losing ground or I'm somehow losing anything that I would have gained in my previous whatever that may have been. But let's talk about do over doesn't mean that you're you're losing any ground that you gain. Let's yeah. talk about that a bit. Well, I think the I think the thing you have to remember, there is going to be some degree of that. Like that's a reality. I have, you know, I know people that will say, okay, I'm in sales and I want to be in tech. Like I've always wanted to be in tech, been a sales guy forever, but I want to I want to be in tech. And then they have to take courses. Mm -hmm. They have to add certifications. They have to, you don't get to go, I've been in sales for 20 years. I want the 20 year equivalent job of being in tech because they should say, well, you haven't run a network for 20 years. Like it's awesome that you have passion. So depending on what you jump between, there's going to be some backwards. But the, silver, but, but the silver lining and something like that may be you have more personal interaction once you learn the tech side than the tech guy because you haven't been behind a computer all the time. You've yeah, kind of you dope. bring your own skills to That's that. Right. That's exactly right. That's what the career savings account um, idea is about is that those 20 years in sales were not wasted. Mm -hmm. It's your job to figure out where's the overlap, where's the connection. And so that's what a big part of do-over is about figuring out is that, okay, how do you build the type of career that no matter what you do, you have, again, what I call a career savings account, which is almost like a bank account for your career, where regardless of what job you have, you're taking your relationships, your skills, your character, and your hustle forward with you. And so it's usually not a, you're on the 20th built floor and then you're back to the one. Um, sometimes people fear that and they never jump because of that. Mm -hmm. It's usually you're on the 20th and you get to the 12th, but being on the 12th of the building you want to be in is better than being on the 100th of the building you don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to look at the long term. It's a long term play. You shouldn't jump for a short term thing. You shouldn't say, I kind of maybe sort of want to do this thing. I'll just wreck my whole life and uproot everything. You, you should be on purpose about it. And if you don't want to do that, you shouldn't make the jump. But if you do want to do that, you should be able to see, okay, it's going to take me one to three years to get back to the level I want. But man, I've got 30 years left of work and those 30 years are going to be awesome right. because I've done the difficult part of the one to three. How many times have you found yourself? I know you left your dream job and you're constantly ramping up in things. And again, I follow you on Periscope and other places. And I always see you almost in a sense 
you know, mentoring other people and giving them advice and talking to them. But you're also in some sense talking to yourself. How many times are you doing over? How many times are you starting and kind of re? Oh, I think I tried to, you know, explain to people do over can, you know, is anytime you have to change. And so there's days where you'll do over something a hundred times a day where it can be you're doing over a relationship with a coworker that's difficult and you're trying to use empathy to understand where they're coming from. Um, there's times where, you know, I get up in the morning and have to go, okay, this one way I thought things were going to be done with this webinar, it's not working. Mm. So how do I, how do I do that over? So yeah, the phrase duo for me, and it's not a negative phrase. It can be positive too. You know, getting a promotion is a do over. I'm getting a new opportunity as a do-over. Changing how you look at a situation is a do-over. Reading a book that challenges you and asks you questions is a do-over. So I, I have, I would say, a series of do-overs. As far as, you know, every new client I work with is a do-over because I get to learn that client and get That's to right. say, okay, it's a great fitter. It's not a great fitter. Here's what I need to do. Every speaking gig, I get to learn a new audience. You know, the challenge is if you start thinking everything's the same over and over and over again, you, get, you can get complacent. Again, you're a great writer. You use such great humor. And again, you put things in, in such a good perspective that I think has helped me along the way in my entrepreneurial journey and my career. And it, it's, you know, Quitter was one of the first books that I read, in fact. And um, what it did for me in terms of me kind of being confident in myself, I can't say enough about it. I talk about these books, and this is before you and I even talked, and you were inspiring me just from words on a page. Who or what inspires you? Uh, Seth Godin really inspires me. I really like him. I like the way he writes. I like his generosity and his heart and his approach and his writing voice. Um, I'm really inspired by him. I'm inspired by my dad. Mm. I love the way he communicates. Um, I got to grow up watching, watching him do that and still to this day love to get to see him speak. Um, who else inspires me? Um, my kids inspire me mm. because they have such a fresh look on life and, and things that are interesting. My friend, Brian Koppelman inspires me. He's the writer and director. He and his, uh, writing partner, um, David Levine, they just, they have a show called, uh, billions right now in Showtime. Oh yeah. And, and he's, he's become a, a good friend and a, an inspiration. He's got a great podcast called the moment. I find him to be very inspiring. So yeah, those are a few of the people that inspire me. You know, just kind of taking one step back into kind of the careers and entrepreneur journey that we're talking about. Is there really such a thing as a work-life balance? I know that you have a family, you're married, two children, but you do so much outside of that too. Is it hard for you to find that work-life balance or are you like hogwash work and life are just part of it? You know, I always I always go back to something I heard Dave Ramsey say that balance was a myth in the sense of like, you think you're going to get some perfectly balanced thing that you can, you know, balance it. And his example was when you train for a half marathon, you run more in that season than you do in other seasons. It's mm -hmm. out of balance. And I thought that was a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in balance in that sense. I believe in being intentional. You know, here's an example. I would fail if at the beginning of the year, I said to myself, okay, I want to speak. I want to have as many speaking gigs in the, every month. Like I want them to all be the same. I want to do four a month. Like say I said that. That would be almost impossible because companies book you to speak in the spring and fall. No one books you in July. That's not failure. That's because it's summer. 
and company and there's not conferences. <laughs> so it would be dumb if I tried to force a balance on a situation that lives out of balance. And so I'm much more about being honest with the schedule, but then above all realizing you can't have it all. You you just can't. Like the entrepreneur who's single and has no kids and has no life that is working 10 hours on a Saturday when you're playing with your kids, like the reality is he's going to get ahead of that, of you. Like mm-hmm. same with, she's going to get ahead of you. Now, long-term, will they burn out? Yeah, maybe, but you can't have it all. Like when you, when you dedicate your life to spending time with your family and your kids, there's an impact, like there should be. So I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm more of a believer in Things are out of balance, but out of balance is good. The reason why I asked the question is because, you know, I told you this earlier, but I watched your Periscope. And one of the things that just jumped out at me, as well as other people, you said you like to say no quickly and yes, slowly, which, uh, you know, again, maybe I was just hearing it on my own. What it said was, hey, I really like to balance and weigh out things. And even if something is a really great idea, you know, you kind of use Jenny, your wife, as kind of a sounding board to say, hey you know, I think this is a really great idea. And she kind of lowers you down to say, John, I know it's shiny, but let's really find out why that is. And so, you know, that was something to me that you found sort of a work-life balance there. 100%. And she'll, you know, she'll ask me questions about it. Same with my mastermind. And I'm in a group uh, with four other guys that are really smart and I'll share ideas with them and they'll go, well, wait a second. I thought you said this is the thing you cared about. So yeah, I think talking it out is critical. I read a good book by uh, Andy Stanley called Choosing the Cheat. Awesome book, kind of talks about the very same thing. And similar to what you said, look, you know, the reality of it is if you're going to pick something and you're going to lose out on the other, just it is what it is. But, you know, make a very conscious decision, if you will, to decide what it is that you really want to go with and go with it and live with no regrets. So, John, uh, we're going to wrap up here. Did you want to share with anybody on where they can go and how they can find you and hear more from you, see your videos and and kind of collect content from there? Yeah, I'm uh, at acuff.me. That's my URL for my blog. And then on Twitter, I'm John Acuff, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. And then um, I do a 30-day course, and I think it'll be closed by the time people are hearing this, but I do a 30-day video course that helps people crush their hustle. It's called the 30 Days of Hustle, and you can go to 30daysofhustle.com to get on the waiting list for that. Good. We'll definitely put it up on our Facebook page. John, you've been awesome. I really appreciate the time. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Priest. Great questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online, or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also, feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world.